Well, I was thinking this week about uh, just some, some times and some stories, some instances for me, like real early on in my Christian walk, uh, where I, in the, in the context of worship, where, where God kind of spoke or God moved or God kind of did some things that really shaped me and formed me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out just sharing a, a hodgepodge of stories with you today from those early years of my, of my Christian walk. I, I became a Christ follower in college uh, and pretty quickly learned that I could really draw near to Jesus uh, musically, could, could worship him through song and draw close to him like that. And so I started learning the guitar on my own because I wanted to have a way that not just on Sundays or not just at uh, student ministry, not just whatever, but uh, where I could, like in my own uh, dorm room or wherever I was, I could go out and I could worship and draw near to God. So I, was, I learned guitar and I, I, I get that I'm a bit of an anomaly here, but I probably spent thousands of hours throughout my college years uh, really worshiping and drawing close to the Lord um, that way. It was an amazing time for me, but uh, just was thinking again just about all the ways that I saw God work in those early years. I remember I'd been a Christ follower for about a year when I went um, to Moscow. I spent a summer in Moscow, Russia. Um, the wall had just been down like about a year. The Berlin Wall had just come down. So it was real fresh, really early on uh, where they were open to having uh, Christians come in and share with them about Christ. And so came in, we did kind of a student exchange kind of program. And so I had roommates that were, um, that were from Russia and uh, I can, I'll never forget, uh, I was in my, in my room one night, they were out, I was there, and I had my guitar out, I knew about five chords at that point, so I could, I could play, you know, a pretty small bandwidth of songs, that I could play something that went with those five chords, and I'm, I'm just worshiping, and I'm praying, and I'm just kind of enjoying being with God, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget when my uh, atheist, you know, uh, communist roommate walks in, and I thought, well, what do I do, and I'm like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep just worshiping, and so, um, I'm playing and I'm singing to Jesus and I'm, I'm praying a little bit and he comes in and sits on the corner of his bed and just sort of sits there for a little while and uh, before the night is over he uh, again unbeknownst to me to some degree but before the night's over he gives his life to Christ <laughs> he asked if I'd pray for him he's like I've never experienced God before <laughs> like and he was like I don't know I don't know how to explain it but when you were worshiping he's like it was like God was here like sitting on the bed next to me he said and he's like I don't know what this is but I want it in my life he's like he discovered new life with Christ and again went from atheist to believer in the context of worship just like that pretty amazing uh, kind of time I remember a few weeks later I was again just kind of worshiping and uh and, and praying a little bit and it was in that in that time that God spoke to my heart and uh, I felt a distinct kind of nudge and impression and like God was speaking and saying, you know what, I know you've been heading in this certain direction. I had been prepared all of my life to, to go into a, a career that actually made money, <laughs> unlike ministry, right? But <laughs> that actually made money. And so I had, I had started um, doing computer programming from the time I was about six. Um, I had built my first computer when I was in middle school. Uh, and I mean, I, it was, I was on track to make money. I was, I was a math and computer science major in college. I'm like, yeah, this is going to, this is going to be sweet. My dad was uh, a VP at a, um, a computer firm out in Silicon Valley in California when I was growing up. So it was sort of, it was sort of the path that was laid out for me. And I'll, I'll never forget God speaking and saying, you know, I know you've been heading in this direction, but, but I'm, I've got different plans for you. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was a specific call to ministry. And so I went back and I changed my major when I got home and I started a new course, something completely different from the entire track I'd been on for my entire life up until that point. 
All, all this happened in the context of worship. The following year, uh, I remember I met, ended up meeting, God just sort of brought a group of five guys together on our college campus. All of us uh, were passionate Christ followers, wanted to grow in our faith. I was still pretty young um, in my faith, and so we met together, and we started out once a week, but then eventually we started meeting twice a week, two times a week. We would get together and uh, and we would pray together and we would uh, worship. We'd come in on Sunday nights after the evening church service. The, the, the pastor was just goofy enough to let five college-age guys basically have the keys. He'd just leave us in their church and they'd lock up and leave. And then we'd have it until whenever we wanted to leave. And so we would, we would come in, we'd pray for each other. We would open up God's word and read together. We would uh, have accountability with one another. Literally, it was one of those things like, it was weird, but like, we would sing and worship at the top of our lungs to God. We had, occasionally you'd have somebody that would walk through or whatever. You would kind of feel like an idiot, but you know, it's like that kind of thing. But, but actually we'd have people that would walk through. Oftentimes we'd be like, man, when you guys are worshiping, there's something peaceful here. There's something different here. And, and uh, man, there were so many times in those, in those days when uh, God was ch- changing us and God was speaking and nudging. I remember, uh, one time we had one of the guys that was in the group, uh, he was a senior in college that year. He got the highest job offer in terms of money of anybody in our entire college. He got a super solid uh, career offer. And I'll never forget, uh, it was one of those times, again, in, in the midst of worship, he starts crying. Not a kind of guy that really does that kind of thing, but starts crying. And he's like, you know what, I think this has been an idol and God's asking me to give it up. He said no to the most money anybody in our college got offered that year. Again, came from worship because he felt like, you know what, I think God has something better. Uh, I can remember times uh, for me and for all of us when uh, God would sort of put a finger on a specific sin where we would be broken and have to confess it uh, to the group and we would pray for each other and hold each other accountable and some of that kind of stuff. Uh, We'd spend hours uh, worshiping and praying and uh, I have to say, not sure I've ever really experienced God's presence being so strong, you know, in, in, in a place and on some people as, as that group as we met together that year. So much so that I, I remember uh, we had a class together. Four of the five of us had took a Hebrew class together. Uh, and I remember, um, you know, going through that course and there was a young man who was super spiritually confused at the time and just sort of... Uh, lost and kind of looking for more and, and some of that kind of stuff. And I remember him uh, sort of, he started hanging around with us and, uh, and eventually started saying, you know, would it be okay if I hang out with you guys? And we're like, totally. And he's like, would it be, and he heard us talking about uh, meeting together for prayer and for, for worship and to read the Bible and stuff. And, and he's like, would it be okay if I started coming and joining you guys for that? And we're like, yeah, and so we kind of talked, talked it over and said, well, maybe we should just open it up to whoever wants to come. And so we ended up opening it up, had more, more than 100 people come uh, in, in the next about six or eight weeks, uh, started meeting together on, I forget, Wednesday nights or something like that. Uh, we'd stay up in the chapel on campus, again, until the wee hours of the morning. People would stay until one or two o'clock in the morning. I kid you not, on a college campus, praying and worshiping, people didn't want to leave because what they were experiencing with God was better than anything else they'd ever experienced. People would want to stay and pray and worship. They couldn't wait to get back together. It was transformational. It was life-changing for so many of us. Uh, 
And I look back on those, on those, those early years for me and just think about the significance of worship, of what happens when a, a little group of people set their eyes and their hearts so fully on God, on, on drawing near to him, on, on praying to him, on, on praising and worshiping him, on, on seeing him for who he is and then responding with surrender and with praise and with worship in their lives. It was transformational. We saw dozens and dozens of people come to Christ that year. We saw God do incredible things in our lives and in the lives of those around us. All of it came out of worship. Well, we're on week number three of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Better, trading in ordinary life for, for something more. And this series is all about learning to find life and learning to live life and experience life in that kind of close relationship with Jesus. It's countercultural, isn't it? I mean, I get that it's not your typical college experience for people to stay up until two o'clock in the morning, right, and worship Jesus, uh, but it's better, right? It's better than the indulgences that college can offer. It's better than what materialism can offer. It's better than what careers can offer. It's better than what the best lover has to offer. Life with God is just better, and it's the life that you and I are born for. It's the life that you and I are made for. We've been looking over the last few weeks at some of these psalms. Psalm 34, 8 puts it this way. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It's sort of an invitation where, where God's saying to us, you know, through the psalmist, he's saying, come and check God out for yourself and see if life with him isn't just better. Taste for yourself. Try for yourself. Draw near to God and see if life with him isn't better. Psalm 63, 3 says, because your love, God, is better than life, my lips will glorify you, right? We've talked about that. We looked at that and said, man, God's love, the psalmist is saying, is, it's just better than anything else. Psalm 16, 11 says, you've made known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At right hand are pleasures forevermore. Life with Jesus, life in his presence with him, it's just better. There's fullness of joy there. There's life there. There's peace and love. It's just better. Two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 84 uh, in our time together. We looked at that. It's the one that has the, the verse that says, better is one day in your courts, God, than thousands elsewhere. He said, you know what? I would rather, I would rather be close and in the presence of the living God for just one day than to have a thousand days doing anything else, being anywhere else other than in with God. He said, if you give me the choice, I would choose the one day with God because it's better. Last week we talked about idols, right? We looked at uh, Exodus 32 and a couple of different passages from Exodus. And we talked about our, our propensity and our, our, uh, our hearts, the ways that we can so easily turn away from life with God and closeness with God and intimacy with God. It's so easy for us to choose something easier, perhaps, and to choose something lesser and just look instead to, to what this world has to offer, to, to, to choose instead materialism or to choose instead relationships or to, to kind of look for and set our hearts on things in the here and now rather than on God, to, to seek after and pursue the creation rather than the creator. We said it's so easy for that to happen. And I think all of us have to come clean at some point and recognize and say, you know what, God, I'm guilty, right? I, 
I have gone after other things rather than you and come back and just say, I'm sorry. But sooner or later for any of us, when we pursue something else other than God, it will fall short. I guarantee it. It always leaves us hungry and thirsty for more. It leaves our soul empty. It might be fun for a little while, but at the end of the day, we come back and if we're honest, we have to realize and say, you know, it didn't, it didn't deliver like it promised. I'm still longing for more. I'm still empty. It's still not that sense of security. There's still not the life that I hope. There's still not the joy that I long for. There's still not the peace that I need because those kinds of things, life can only be found in God. It's what we're born for. It's what you're made for. And it's how life works best. Today, I want to I zero in on, as we talked about, I want to zero in on this whole idea of worship. And we can define it a whole bunch of different ways. And uh, for our purposes, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk about it in terms of just drawing near to God seeing and, and coming to know Christ and drawing close to God and then responding to him in ways that, w- with lips and with lives that bring him praise, right? That, that honor and surrender and open ourselves up to him more and more. And uh, I want to talk about worship because I think this goes hand in hand with us uh, learning to experience this better life that God has for us. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to open them up uh, to Psalm 73. If you don't have them, I'd encourage you to open up the Ignite Church app. There's a notes uh, section in there. You can follow along there. We'll also put the, uh, those up on the screens here in a little bit. Psalm 73, we're just going to kind of walk through this today, and we're going to learn some lessons about worship and how it's better, right, to worship God uh, than anything else. And kind of like we talked about last week, I think the reality is, the reality is that you and I are, are worshipers. We are, right? We are worshipers. You and I will worship something, right? We will either worship God and we will set our gaze on him and we will bring all of our longings and needs and desires and everything else that we crave and long for and we will look to him to fill those things and direct us and we will order our lives around him or we will set our minds and hearts and our order our lives around something else. You and I will worship something. We'll either worship God or we'll worship an idol of some sort. And so today in Psalm 73, I want us to kind of just walk through this psalm today. It's, it's got some great stuff. I think God has some great stuff for us in this psalm, but it's going to talk about basically the without God life and what happens over here for the first 16 verses uh, of the psalm. And it's going to kind of paint a picture of what it's like over here. And then it's going to talk about how life worshiping God and with him as our focus and with him as the one that we are pursuing and going after and worshiping and surrendering to and praising and whatever else, how life with him is just better. And that'll be the last the last. Uh, number of verses in the psalm. So that's where we're going. You with me? It's going to be fun. We're going to walk through it, okay? Uh, Psalm 73, starting with verse 1, says this. It says, Surely God is good to Israel. Israel's God's people, right? Surely God is good to his people, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, the writer says, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. And he kind of goes on for a little while there. just want to just stop and hit the pause button and just kind of say, do, do you see what he's saying here? He's, he's painting a picture. He says, you know what? 
God is good to his people, to those who are pure in heart. However, and here comes the doubt part. However, he said, I had almost lost my footing. I'd almost lost my perspective. I'd almost kind of lost my bearings because I took my eyes off of God and I started looking to people that were not walking with him. I started looking to and comparing and envying, he, he calls them two things, the arrogant and the wicked. People that are living their lives for themselves. People that are just sort of going their own way. So I started looking at them and saying, maybe I've missed it. Maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. Maybe that really is the best way to live. Right? He's kind of saying, I'd almost slipped. I'd almost lost my feet because I started envying and comparing and looking at those who are uh, living their lives, you know, kind of for themselves and that kind of stuff. Envy had caused him to stumble. Envy had caused him to lose his bearings. Now, let me just stop there for just a quick moment and just ask the question, ever done that before? Has the envy monster ever snuck up and taken a hold of you? Yeah, I'm sure not you, but maybe the person sitting next to you, right? <laughs> because they have it easier than you, right? <laughs> like that kind of thing, right? No, I think all of us can identify with this kind of stuff. Have we ever found ourselves wishing that you had somebody else's house or car or job or marriage or relationship or personality, maybe somebody else's looks? Boy, I wish I looked like them. They have it so much better than me. Let me just give you a little test this way and say, if you found out that your arch enemy, so to speak, that your greatest rival, I should say, uh, the person that you're most maybe jealous of in your workplace or in your uh, classroom or wherever you're at, in whatever stage of life, if you had just found out that they'd got a promotion at work over you, would you be happy for them? If you just found out that they built a new house and the same day they completed this gigantic house, they found out that there had been some sort of bank error in their favor and their mortgage got completely paid off, would you be joyful for them? Would you give them a heartfelt, I'm so happy for you? If you just found out that they're dating a supermodel and they're engaged to be married, could, would, you, would you really, from the core of your being, just be so pleased for them? Or would you be a little jealous? Or would you be a little bit like, well, why didn't I get that? Why didn't my mortgage get paid off? Why didn't I get the promotion? Why did, if, if you've ever found yourself thinking like that, then you have been subject to envy, haven't you? And so have I. We've all been there. If you are like me or most other Americans, you've probably struggled with envy at some times in your life. And God says, if you are envious, he just says, you know, you gotta be real careful of your footing because it's a slippery downward slope. You need to be careful so that you don't fall. When you take your eyes off of God and start comparing it with somebody else, it does damage. Envy destroys a thankful, worshipful, content-filled heart. Envy always leaves us thirsting and wanting for more. More money, more toys, better cars, bigger houses, better GPAs, cuter spouses. It's never enough. Envy puts us on a slippery slope. Let's keep going. Verse 5 says this. He's, he, again, he's talking about the wicked. He's talking about the life, the lot that they have. It's all, it's all going well for them. He says they, verse 5, the wicked, uh, the arrogant, are free from common human burdens. This is how it feels to him. They're not plagued by human ills. Life is just going well for them. Therefore, pride is their necklace. He's saying they flaunt it. They clothe themselves with violence. 
From their callous hearts comes iniquity or sin. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice, with bad intentions. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their their people turn to them and drink in the waters in abundance. They sort of drink the Kool-Aid. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? So he's basically saying they're openly mocking God and saying, I don't need him. I'm getting everything I want on my own. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And then he says this. This is sort of the low point for him. Surely in vain. Have I kept myself, my, my heart pure and have washed my hands of innocence? I've been following God in vain. They're all experiencing the good stuff over here. They're amassing wealth. They're getting the promotions. Everything's going their way. I'm trying to walk the straight and narrow path. I'm trying to follow God and it hasn't been working out for me. So he says, surely in vain. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. Surely in vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. What it means literally is it means it was oppressive to me is what it means. It means there was like a weight on my shoulders and I could barely stand He's like, he's looking around. He's saying, you know what? He starts out saying, surely God is good to his people, right? And then he says, but here's the thing. My feet almost came out from under me. I almost fell. Why? Because I started focusing my eyes over here and I'm looking and it seemed like everything was going great for people who were were just seeking after their own good. People that were just just trying to get ahead. They were pursuing their idols. They were going after all that stuff. And, And it seemed like, you know what? Life is going pretty good for them. And he says, when I started, when I stopped and I started pondering that, he said, it was troubling, deeply troubling to me. You can kind of hear the discouragement and the frustration and the pain in his words. He's saying, why? Why is it that some people can go on mocking God? They can be completely immoral. They can hurt those around them. They can be completely arrogant, and yet they are thriving in this world. Why? He's saying, it's not fair. Why are they getting the better jobs? Why are they getting bigger houses or better cars or more stuff for their families? Why them and not me? He's saying, when I'm the one trying to live the good life, a life that's pleasing to God, a life that helps those around me and tries to speak words that encourage and serve and build up those around me. When I, when I started to think about these things, it troubled me deeply. It was oppressive to me. Have you ever found yourself questioning and thinking, am I just running my, am I living my life in vain? Maybe it is just better to go after all that stuff, to put my own needs first. Maybe it's just easier. Maybe it's just better to live that way and just indulge in whatever I want to pursue stuff and pleasure and all that kind of stuff. Maybe that stuff really is just better. Seems to be working okay for some of them. Maybe pleasure and power and position and possessions. Maybe that's what I should be going after in life. We'll come back to that in just a second. But let me just hit verse 17 because this is the turning point in the whole psalm. He says, that's what I was thinking. I was, oh, I was about ready to fall. I was questioning all these things. I was saying, maybe I've been heading in the wrong direction. Maybe I've been running in vain. Maybe, maybe life really is over here and all that stuff. And he says, verse 17, he says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, 
It's the turning point for the whole psalm. This is where the whole thing pivots. He's saying, this is what I was experiencing. This is what I was thinking. This is what I was feeling. This is what I was seeing. And he says, and then I came to worship. When he's talking about the sanctuary of God, he's talking about drawing near to God. Then I came to worship. Then I came to draw close to God and everything changed. Everything changed. It's the pivotal statement in this whole thing. When I was over here, I felt like I was oppressed. But then I entered the sanctuary of God. But then I came to worship. But then my, I turned my soul towards God and everything started shifting. When I drew close to God, when I started getting to know him and I started responding to him, when I started to worship him, everything began to change. Worship, friends, is transformational. It's a huge deal. It changes everything. Worship is where things get put in right perspective. Things get right-sized. Worship is where we are brought back and embraced by God. It's where we can turn, where we can come clean with ourselves and turn back and find life and freedom and forgiveness with him, right? It, it, in worship, we, we rediscover what is better, let me just make a couple clarifications because worship is really a heart thing, isn't it? I'm not just coming, talking about coming to church. I'm not just talking about sitting in a pew or chair or whatever, right? Two people can sit next to each other. They, can, they could sing the same songs. They could hear the same message. And from God's perspective, they could leave. One of them could have worshiped and the other one could have just sat in a church service, right? It's a heart deal. It's about have we turned and fixed our eyes on Christ? Have we seen him and responded to him in ways that are pleasing and glorifying to him? Or have we just done a religious thing? You kind of hear what I'm saying? There's a difference, right? It's a heart kind of deal. And so when we're talking about worship, we're talking about that, right? We're not talking about just sitting in a religious service or doing something religious, right? Repeating some words off of your lips. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying turning your soul Godward, connecting with him, looking to him, crying out to him, offering ourselves to him, right? All of those things. Lips and lives all turn towards him and responding to and surrender to him. It's worship. Worship, real worship, changes everything. So going back, he says, I was struggling, I was going through all this stuff, and then I entered the sanctuary of God. He says, then I went to, I worshiped, I turned my soul God. Then he says, my eyes were open and everything changed. Then, right, this is where he has the aha moment. So I'm just gonna kind of walk through these. There's three different things I think we'll see as he's, as he's talking about worship and, and as he's telling this story about what happened when he entered the sanctuary of God. These three things and so many more, right? But these three things uh, that he comes to discover make life with God and worshiping God just better than anything the world has to offer. So let's keep going. The first one I'm just gonna to hit is this. It says, in worship, I'm given better perspective. Verse 17, he says this, and until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Then I could see it. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. 
when the psalmist comes to worship, when he sets his heart on God, when he draws close to the living God, he's given real perspective. Suddenly his eyes are open and he can see life as it really is. Not just from the short-term perspective, not just for the here and now kind of perspective that our world is all about. But he's given God's perspective. He's given God's wisdom. Suddenly he's reminded that there's more to life than just how much money is in your bank account or what kind of car you drive. The reality is each one of us, every person on the planet is just one breath, just one heartbeat away from standing face to face with a perfect, holy, and all-powerful God. And then each one of us will have to give an account for our lives and our actions. At that moment, it will make zero difference whatsoever how many zeros were on your paycheck while you were on this earth. It will not make a bit of difference how many friends you had on Facebook, what your GPA was, how big your house was, or how prestigious was your job was that you had when you were on this earth. It won't matter at all. It won't even matter a little. At that moment, the only thing that will really matter is your relationship with, with Jesus, right? That's the whole ball game at that point. Have I, during my life, have I opened up and put my faith and trust in Christ? Have I been adopted back into his family? Is he my savior? Have I lived my life for him and with him? That is the only stuff that matters. If we've put our faith and our trust in him, that is our spend forever with Jesus card, right? That is, that is a, man, welcome into heaven. I've got great things in store for you forever. And how we have lived our lives with Christ on this earth will be the reward that we experience in heaven for all eternity. That will be all that matters, right? The only thing that matters. And when we worship our perspective and our eyes get broadened to God's perspective a little bit, right? We kind of get a little bit more clearly of his perspective. We can see not just the here and now, but we get open up to like, there's an eternity out there and we're going to be there forever. I can remember uh, there's a pastor and author uh, named Wayne Cordero. He's from Hawaii and he tells us great story about this. He said, man, to compare life on this planet, right? Life, life in the here and now to the life, the, the eternal life that Christ purchased for us. He said, to, to give you an example of that, he said, let's, let's imagine that I have a steel cable and I take a, like the strongest bow and arrow ever, right? And I, take, and I take one in and I shoot it as far as it can go in this direction and it goes through the walls of the Civic Center straight down the street out to the horizon as far as you can see and it keeps going and then he says you take the other end of the cable and you shoot it in the opposite direction it goes straight out the wall this way keeps going forever right in that direction through all eternity he said let's imagine that this cable now passes through this room and is directly in front of you he said that cable represents eternity that represents the span of it's it's never ending in either direction he said that cable represents the span of which those who have put their faith and trust in Christ will be in heaven with him forever. He said, now to contrast that with, with uh, the amount of time that we are here on this planet, he said, I would take out a ballpoint pen and I would put a little vertical scratch on that cable. That little scratch might be about a 132nd of an inch wide. That represents how long your life on earth is in comparison to all eternity. Not very long. 
He says, but do you know what most of us do? He said, we not only live on that scratch, but we also love that scratch. We kiss that scratch. We save for that scratch. We hoard for that scratch. We live scratch lives. We have scratch businesses, have scratch families, and have scratch hopes and scratch dreams. And he says, kind of tongue-in-cheek, he said, but God so loved the scratch, right, that he sent his only son to die for those that live there. Yet so many of us still don't know about this gift called eternity. They're still hanging on to the scratch. They're trying to elongate it. They're trying to stretch it. They're trying to extend it as much as possible. But even in the midst of their attempts, they know deep inside that, that there's got to be more. And there is. When, we're, when we worship, we're reminded of the real perspective, the eternal perspective. Friends, we live in a nearsighted world. We can see up close and visible stuff really well, but we've lost sight of the bigger picture, the reality that each one of us is just one heartbeat away from having to give an account to God for our lives. We are only on this planet literally a number of weeks, and then we enter eternity. And when we worship, God shows us the bigger picture. I was thinking this week and just being reminded, this has been, this is this truth of when we gather together and worship that our perspective gets broadened and we're able to see the bigger picture. This has been what has produced hope in the church for the last 2,000 years. For the majority, by far, probably 19 of the last 20 centuries, right, in, in the, the, the life of the church have been hostile towards Christians and have not been a, a very good uh, kind of setting in order for Christians to live. Uh, and this has been the hope of the church. People would gather together uh, in, in the midst of the Roman Empire, right, the early church in which people were getting killed for being Christians. They were getting fed to lions and sawed into. They were getting lit up as tor- and used as torches at parties. Right? I mean, it was terrible. And so if they were focused on the here and now, they would be in huge trouble. They would be hopeless. But they would gather together and worship. And in the midst of it, they would find hope. Why? Because they were reminded there is a bigger picture. There is a God that's on the throne. And even if we suffer for a little while here, Soon, very soon, we are going to someplace better and we will spend all eternity there. They, they were living not just for the scratch, right? They were living for eternity. They were living their lives in light of the, the reality that was to come. They found hope knowing that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done. That even if things don't look like they're going your way right now, there is a bigger reality at work. It has produced hope hope for the last 2,000 years when we worship I'm given real perspective and hope and life it's just better it's just better second thing uh, in worship I can see my the reality of my own heart I can see my sin and I can turn again back home verse 21 and 22 says this when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered I was senseless and ignorant I was a brute beast before you he says When we worship, we're able to get a glimpse of our own hearts because we've been in the presence of a totally perfect and holy God. And as a result, we can see our own stains and blemishes and sin, and we can turn back home. I was thinking this week, uh, remembering uh, 
and, and thinking about like shock collars on dogs. You know those, what do they call those? Is it wireless fences or something? You know what I'm talking about? Like where you, you uh, dig, a, dig around the perimeter of your, of your yard or whatever and you put a cable in there and it's got this kind of thing. You put a, sh- a collar on the dog and at first I think you train him, you put flags up. You guys know what I'm talking about? And if the dog gets close to it, it kind of oftentimes will have like a beep or something at first. It'll say beep, like just to warn you, like, hey man, you're getting close. You go any further, you're going to get shocked. And if they step, you know, they take, they take that next step forward, they get shocked and, you know, shock them back into the yard. They'll yipe and they'll come back into the, into the yard and do that kind of thing. We had some friends up in Wisconsin uh, that, that uh, had this, they had a Doberman. And uh, this Doberman was strong-willed and stubborn. Oh, yeah, he was, I mean, this dog, I mean, he would, uh, periodically, this happened all the time, periodically, he would uh, just see, he'd see a squirrel run by, he'd see, you know, a cute dog, or I don't know, whatever he'd see, run, you know, running by, and he'd, he would just kind of make up his mind, you know, I'm going to take the hit. I'm going after it. And so he would just take off sprinting, right? I mean, he's sprinting and, you know, he sprints up to the line and goes beep and he would, he would just jump right over. Yipe, right? He'd yipe and keep going kind of thing. So much so, so, much so that they would turn the, they turned the voltage up on the collar to say, man, this isn't working. We have got to do something more. It was turned up so, <laughs> this is like animal abuse maybe. So like if, if you're like a member of those kind of, I'm sorry, I'm not like condoning it. This is just the reality. But they turned it up so high that the dog would sprint and would run when he got to this edge it would knock him on his butt right like he would it would clear it like it'd shock him so hard it'd knock him over Yipe! and he'd come over here he'd sit there stunned for a minute and then he'd hop up and take off <laughs> and they were like what are we supposed to do we can't and all that is just to say you know what he was he was a brute beast he he knew I mean he knew he was going to get shocked he knew it was going to inflict pain he knew uh, he knew it wasn't going to end up being a good thing right sooner or later the dog had come back another few minutes or a few hours later maybe he'd catch the rabbit or the squirrel or whatever maybe uh, maybe whatever uh, he'd come back home and he'd be like you know what I'm, I'm back that, w- that wasn't it I need to co- I need to turn back and come home but he was a brute beast he was unable to control himself so he would just take off running no matter the cost, no matter, and I hear that and I think, you know what, that's, that's kind of what the psalmist is saying here. He's like, you know what, I, I, I can kind of be like that. I can run in the wrong direction and I can experience pain in the deal. I can yipe, I can get knocked over and still I'll keep going in the wrong direction. Right? I'll keep running down that road. I'll go further and further and further and further. But when we worship we're reminded and we, we can see clearly our own hearts. We can see our own waywardness. We can remember how much better life was home with God. And because of Jesus, we can turn back home, right? We can come back and we can find forgiveness and grace. We can be welcomed again into the Father's embrace. We can know his love. We can be guided by his spirit. In worship, I recognize and experience God's presence with me, and I get welcomed home. You can almost hear the, uh, the psalmist here saying, you know, like, thank God for worship, right? Thank God that I can come back home. The third thing, and this is, I, I mentioned it already, but the thir- in worship, the third thing, I can recognize and experience God's presence with me. Let's go to verse 23 says this, he says, yet, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand like a father taking his child in the hand, leading him through their days. 
He says, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me home into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful. But as for me, it is good. He says, it is better. It is best to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all of your wonderful deeds. When we draw near to God in worship, friends, we are reminded that we are not alone. We get to experience and come to know the living God is the one that's waiting and longing for us to come home. He is with you here today. He is with me here today. He is with you wherever you go. He wants to take you by the hand and lead you through your day, lead you through your lives. And when you and I meet with him and when you and I start worshiping and start drawing near to him, we get reminded that there is nothing better than being in his presence. There's nothing better than spending time with him, nothing better than receiving the life and the peace and the love and the grace that only he offers. As we worship, you'll find like the psalmist did that there is nothing better than being with him and that nothing the earth has to offer can even come close. Nothing, nothing over here even comes close to life with God. You know why? According to the psalmist, because it's better. Life with God is just better. Well, I'll tell you what, friends, I'm not sure uh, where you're at with God today. I'm not sure what he might be saying to you in the midst of this. I mean, maybe, maybe if the truth be told, maybe you've been focused in over in the here and now, just in, the, in this little world, in this little kingdom. You've been f- so focused there that maybe today God wants to open up your eyes and broaden, broaden your perspective and say, man, come and live life with me in my kingdom because it's better. There's, there's an eternity waiting for you. There's life like you can't imagine just awaiting you. And you'll discover it as you come and worship Maybe you've been running in the wrong direction, right? And uh, you've been experiencing pain and whatever else. And maybe this morning the Father wants to, to invite you into worship. And he wants to open your eyes so that you can see the condition of your own heart. Your own sin, your own neediness. And so that you can turn back to him and say, God, I need you. Would you come and wash me and cleanse me and make me new, God? Bring me home. Maybe this morning, more than anything else, you just need to experience and know the presence of God with you. He says, man, all of those things, the psalmist is saying, all those things he experienced in the context of worship, and then he came to the sanctuary of God. The application is the same for today as it is throughout this entire series. Man, would you increase your pursuit of him? Would you go after him? Would you, would you, Sundays, sure, be here, worship, right? All that kind of stuff. Man, that's important. We need that. We're gonna have an opportunity to do that in just a second. But also throughout the week, would you open up his book and would you worship by getting to know him here? Would you get down on your knees? Would you start praying and just learning to connect with him and enjoy his presence there? Would you, would you open up your ears and eyes as you go throughout your day and look for, look for his presence in your midst? 
There's all kinds of ways you can practice that and learn that. We did a thing at our, at our church in Wisconsin, did a 60-60 challenge for a while where we had people set a reminder uh, every 60 minutes uh, throughout the day uh, on their phone or on their watch or on their whatever. And any time that went off, they were just supposed to turn their souls and their attention to God. They, if there's something going on, you can pray for it. If there's, if there's nothing going on, just maybe you say, God, is there something you want to say to me right now? Is there, is there something, some, somebody I can serve for you? Right? Is, there, is there somebody that needs your love? What? How, just as a way to stay in touch with him. Maybe there's something like that you can do. I, I know somebody that says uh, every time before they touch a doorknob, they use that as the reminder. Uh, God, you know what's on the other side of this door. Would you, would you use me? Would you keep me in step with you? Would you speak to me? Would you, whatever. Maybe you want to just put that into practice. We started out um, today talking about, uh, just quoting from um, a psalm that just said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we thought it might be appropriate uh, to end the service today with worship as a way just to say, you know what, just let's put everything else down. Let's, all the stuff of this world, let's, let's, let's lift our focus and our gaze up and put it on God for a while. Let's draw near to him. Let's sing to him at the top of our lungs with everything we are, just recognizing and praising him for who he is and responding to him with hearts and with lives that are offered back and surrendered to him. And so I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna spend some time just kind of worshiping him this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need you. Would you lift our eyes right now? Would you, would you draw our souls to you? God, we wanna see you. We wanna know you. We thirst and we hunger for you. Lord, I pray right now that you would just meet with us, that you would show yourself to us, that you would enlarge our vision and our perspective, help us to see how you see in ways that we are wayward or our own sin has drawn us away like a brute beast. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us and draw us home as we meet with you. Draw us back to you, Jesus. Come and cleanse us and make us clean. And Lord, may we just bask in your presence in these next moments. May we be aware of your presence. May we be drawn close. And may we bring you honor and glory, God, as we, as we worship, as we get a glimpse of you this morning. We offer ourselves in this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.